the whole COVID thing sort of coming out of it forced us more into a, a direction of what we can do and what we want to do and why we're doing what we're doing. We've just sort of been doing it blindly before that. And I was like, hang on, no. But it also made me stop thinking about having another venue in town or something silly like that and realising what more we can do here with Tamba. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There is a common sentiment that kitchens are not the tough, harsh environments they used to be. Not that people are not working as hard these days, but the culture and mental health of those carving out careers are as important as what ends up on the plate. How do you create that environment and not only see your staff prosper, but the business too. Matt Adams is a chef and owner of Tamba in Lagana, Tasmania. Matt, how are you? Very well, Huck. How are you? I'm good. You're in an interesting um, part of Australia, up in sort of northern Tasmania. What's it like there at the moment? It's um, It all seems to be happening at the moment. Like North Tas is picking up a bit of momentum as far as being on the map and moving forward with dining and the whole hospitality scene and agriculture and yeah, it's fun. You've got a, an interesting model with your restaurant there that's really focused on um, nurturing staff, but also connecting with other restaurants uh, and real connections. Um, tell us about the approach that you have with your restaurant. Um, I mean, initially, when I started it up, I didn't really have too much of a plan, but um, I, um, I, I didn't feel that there was enough collaboration happening, and and we could all be friends, and we can all we're all in this same game together. And um, I'd always gotten along with everyone else in the industry as I'd worked through. Um, and so when we opened, it was always about collaborating and and just yeah, p- pushing other restaurants and. And hopefully, you know, creating a bit of a family, not just in this restaurant, but with it, with others as well, I guess. Take us into into your restaurant and, and what you do to be inclusive and nurturing of the staff to create such a positive environment. Um, I think just like letting staff come, I mean, well, this crew really, and like employing them based more on personality as, a, as opposed to skill set and becoming more of a family and letting them do what they want to do so they feel comfortable um, giving them enough tools to go, hey, this is what, what we're trying to do, and then letting them fly with it and, like, letting them, you know, make make it make them feel at home and make them feel like it's theirs and, and you know, have them enjoy coming to work every day. What sort of environment... Uh were you introduced to when you first stepped foot in the industry? Um, well, and I've heard it a few times, I guess, on this podcast, like I guess people in that from mid-30s sort of onwards that started back in like the 90s, late 90s to well, even before that, but like early 2000s where it was a bit bit more brutal. Um, so also, again, on the cusp of that, like coming out of that, period where it was, you know, you're expected to work, you know, 80, 90 hours a week, get yelled at and enjoy it and go out and party and then come back to work and enjoy it and, you know, prove how hard you could work hungover and all that kind of stuff. And it, 
it's nice to be be able to now be in control of a of a place where people can come and work and for it to not be that <laughs> for, for it to be way more positive and way more nurturing and just a nicer place to be and a nicer industry to be in. I want to explore what you're doing at Tamar a bit more, but take us back to when you were young, what sort of role did food play for you in your family? Um, I mean, I come from a very Australian, Australian background on both, both sides. Um, so no, like Nonna's doing Posada every, <laughs> at the end of every summer or anything romantic like that. But like, but still a very nurturing, like loved food, always loved like both my grandmothers were amazing cooks and I used to always, uh, I picked one of them was the best at desserts and one was the best at, at making main course. And it's that sort of very Australian, like roast meal. And, um, yeah, I mean, but I also really enjoyed going, say if it was our birthday or something, we'd always go out to a restaurant for, for my birthday or my sister's birthday or a relative's birthday. You'd go to a restaurant and I always really loved being in restaurant space as well. Well, what was the lure for you that triggered a career in hospitality? Um, to be honest, like when I was late teens, um, I was a bit of a skateboarding stoner and um, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and I sort of had to do something so Centrelink would pay me money. So I, I, um, I enrolled in like Cert 3 at TAFE and went and did cooking and like thoroughly like loved it. And showed, had like a hundred percent attendance, which was very different to my, to my year eleven and twelve attendance. But um, um, yeah, just from there, I think I just wanted to be able to cook food that was really tasty, and that's what I wanted to know how to do. So yeah, and then eventually started working um, as a kitchen hand to start off with, because I, I still didn't want to commit too much because I was still too busy skateboarding and mucking around. But um, yeah, started working in like a little hotel in Launceston and as a kitchen hand, but working in the bistro and meeting chefs and stuff. And, you know, they were like gods or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a heap of fun. I, I didn't start my apprenticeship until I moved to Queensland, uh, like about a year after doing the kitchen hand gig. In those early years, what were, what were the really important um, people or, or venues that you worked in that, that set you on the path for being a chef? I, I think like everywhere that I've worked, I've like been able to connect with whoever I've worked for and their, and their ethos and, and like anyone that I've worked with has been an inspiration. I guess the, even at the hotel, like just that starting period with like runabout chefs and then went to Queensland and met, Worked in a little restaurant that was um that was when I actually started taking it really seriously and I was like oh wow this is this is this is what I want to do but they were they were very they nurtured me to be able to do what I had no idea what I was doing but they at least let me do some stuff that I shouldn't have been allowed to do I don't think <laughs> so you can do the special today and it's like I, I don't know <laughs> how to cook but okay here we go <laughs> um and then I. Wanted to move back to Launceston because I realised how much I loved it. Um, I actually sent a fax um, because it was, I didn't have an email address. This must have been like 2001 or something. 
And so I sent a fax to, I was like, I can't move home unless I'm working in the best restaurant. And I, I think I worked out in my limited knowledge that one of the best restaurants in Launceston was Pay and Me. And so I sent Peter and Fiona a fax and said, I'll, you know, with a bit of a story and said, I'd like to come back. And I ended up getting in heaps of trouble from a boss in Queensland because I didn't tell him I was doing it. And I would obviously done it from the, from the work fax and he got, he, got, he got a phone call, but it did eventuate in me like being able to pick up my apprenticeship back down here. And that, that was, a, that was a pretty amazing turnaround working in that family environment back then. And they were quietly, they were pretty well, pretty well enjoyed. So it was a fun environment to work in and learn a lot there. Fee and me um, had quite an influence on the dining landscape in Tasmania. What, what did you take from your time there? Um, it was it was so systematic. It was so that like I kind of feel like if you went there and just followed the rules, anyone could do this. Like anyone, it was so like it was so organised. It was so regimented. Um, like two different clocks on the wall, so you could tell what time it was in twenty five minutes for when the next course had to come up. Like, yeah, very, there was no, the risk, kind of the risk was gone, but you had to follow the rules and there was a lot of them. (laughs) But it resulted in, like, it was an amazing menu structure that no one else was really doing and, yeah, everything was timed down to the T. So it was was a good environment to do train, to, to be trained in. You became a head chef at a very young age. What, what were the challenges and positives of of that position that you held? I think, I think like being in in Tasmania, because we are so ultra seasonal with our patronage, like tourism and stuff, or it used to be. It's changed a lot now, but like back then, it was very like you're going to have five busy or four busy months, five busy months, and then customers will drop off, and you have quite quite seven or eight months. But um, so you have small kitchens with small crews. Um, and if you're good, you, you, you get asked to run the kitchen when you've just qualified. So um, I guess at that age, like when you're 25 and like none of the training that you did at TAFE then, I don't know if they, I don't pretty sure they still don't is based around people management and that's probably the hardest side of it. So you're just sort of like, yeah, I can I can cook and I can run this kitchen, but I don't know how to care for you, <laughs> which is, you know, sucks, but it's nice to be able to then go on and learn that, yeah. What sort of impact did uh, being a head chef at a young age have on you? Um, I'd say I did, it, I did it for a bit, and then you just – well, you – you stop the learning, like the actual cookery learning a bit. So, you, you, you know, you're busy like running the kitchen and writing rosters and doing the ordering and, and trying to write menus and trying to understand the whole business. And then, you know, you're still only 25 or 26. So it's like, it's a lot to take on. And then you think, okay, well, I'm here now. I'm going to keep going. And then I think, oh, I mean, I eventually got sick of it all and stopped <laughs> at, I think by the time I was 27. I, I did a reopening of another restaurant in town and then did a year of that and I just couldn't, didn't want to do it anymore. So I dropped out and I, and I took on the catering gig at the Riverside Golf Club <laughs> as my own business and sold wind and did weddings. 
How did you um, rediscover that fire in your belly to sort of jump back into the game after being burnt out? Uh, I think it was probably, you know, I'd be in that kitchen by myself and I was like looking at social media or something and seeing what chefs were doing now. And I was kind of like, no, nah, hang on. I started this because I wanted to be good and wanted to, wanted to do this as my career. And I, and I still want to do that. And, um, I just, yeah, by the time I got to the end of that lease, I was like, no, nah, I'm ready to go back. And I, I think at the time when I got sick of it all, I was a bit like, everyone's trying to be better than everyone else in this tiny little town. And I was just like, it doesn't matter. Um, and just, yeah, wanted to go and cook and re, relearn a bit. Um, and I, I applied for a head chef job. Like I didn't think I was going to get it, but I, I, and I didn't. <laughs> but I, I applied for a head chef job at Joseph Cramey Wines, which was like, okay, this is a big place. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna pay okay. There's gonna be, they've got a new kitchen. They've got all the toys. This could be fun. And I didn't, I didn't get the job. But then I, I reapplied again and got a, well, I actually only got a, a casual chef position there. But then quickly became sous chef under Sean Keating, which was a massive turnaround in my career, I think, yeah. What, what did you learn from your time with Sean Keating at Joseph Cromie? Um, fell, fell back in love with food again and produce and and running a kitchen with a crew and having, having people there beside you and um, being up to date but just, and just pushing a few boundaries as well, I guess. I mean – he was a very poetic, amazing chef to work with, and we, we got along really well. Um, and then ev- eventually after he moved on, I took over from his role, which was good. So I got the head chef job eventually. <laughs> I knew I wanted it, and I got it. <laughs> you mentioned about the seasonal, seasonal nature of both the clientele but also of of the menu and the produce of the region. Um, what was? Tell us about the connections that you formed with local producers and um, how you work together. Um, well, what like being Tamba now? It's because um, there's, there's a lot of small growers and stuff here now, and it's very easy to be in contact with them and and be and make friends and have them as part of your community. But I, like I think the thing that happened at Tamba was I put out a post because we're just outside of Launceston. There's a lot of people with acreage or veg farms, uh, vegetable gardens and orchards and and putting out a post saying, we'll trade produce with you, you know, give you a voucher, whatever, if you bring us stuff in. And it just, that was in the first, in, I think the first summer I did that, so after six months, and it just went absolutely ballistic. And that that's guided where Tamba has gone with its menu writing. And it's as much as, uh, you know, I'd love to say we've got, we know we buy off all these local producers, but they're literally backyard growers at the moment. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the beauty of being down where we are, like very lucky um, that someone from down the road has a massive vegetable garden with excess product and they bring it in. And we, we even made money that we call map money. It's got a picture of, <laughs> I don't know how legal this is, but then we, and we barter with them and write a figure on it and they come back in for dinner and use the voucher. So it's it's created a nice cycle of of a community that we've 
become friends with, like we were friends with these people. And was, like this time of year with, I mean, with the Tassie seasons and when product is around is like the last four or five months. And then it sort of dies off for another seven months where we, or we've got celiac and that's it. But um, yeah, like we've, We've made friends back in 2016, 17 that still deliver produce every week, um, over especially over this period. So it's and I, I don't think I've even posted about it again or asked anyone to bring anything for maybe two years. I haven't had to. So it's yeah, that's that's been the main driver produce wise for us and menu writing and the way we do it because we don't say no to anything. We're just like bring it in and then we'll work it out and we, we can rewrite the menu every day. What sort of pressures does that put on you and your team to be writing the menu daily like that? Um, it's kind of like removing that, like removing, oh, we need to test this dish or we need to test that dish. We just sort of, we'll, we'll, so it's sort of easy. We get, <laughs> we get, we have a structure. We have a structure which is based around shared table banquets and we have like, bookend dishes that are always there and then all the other dishes are sort of, yeah, all the veg and stuff that's coming in. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, we just get here in the morning and we and I prop my computer up in the kitchen and we just go, all right, what are we going to do today? So it's, yeah, it's kind of like now you see it, now you don't. But like we get bulk products, so we do, a, there's a lot of fermenting, a lot of pickling, a lot of like whether it's a sauce or a, a pickled veg, a stockpile in the in the cool room that we can sort of walk into the cool room and go, all right, let's take this item, that item, that item, and that's that dish and sort of run through it that way. Tambo was opened in 2016. T- tell us about how it came about and, and how you built the restaurant. I, I knew that the guys that had it were getting – a bit tired and a bit sick of it. And like they owned the whole property at this point because we were on a vineyard. And um, and I was like, if you want to lease the restaurant out, I would be super, super keen. Um, so I, saw, I did it on a shoestring budget, begged and borrowed and stealed to be able to come in here. And then I didn't really have a plan, but I knew I could cook okay and I knew I had a good concept of what I wanted the – whole dining experience to be like and then we'll just work from there and i mean the first dish was the only dish that i wanted to do was a wood-fired jaffle in the wood fire because there's a wood fire in the kitchen and that's where we cook everything so i should probably mention that as well um but then that sort of lasted three weeks because it was it was way too hard and it was way too hot and I would get stuck and jam and I'd burn my hands. And then so I just took a slice off and turned it into a grilled cheese. And then that became one of the staples for like three years. So, yeah. Um, and I guess like food-wise, we just want to like – I like to cook from nostalgia. I wanted it to be nostalgic. Um, the grilled cheese, I mean, that, I serve that with my grandmother's pickle recipe, so Granny Jean's mustard pickles. Um, and so, like, we wanted it to be a place where customers could come and not be too confused, and so locals would come and locals would come back, but then also for tourists to rock up and, and feel like they'd found a little secret or 
you know, and also a place where industry people come and go, that was really fun. And it's just, a, yeah, relaxed and fun is all I wanted it to be. So, and I think we've, we're getting that. <laughs> we've done that. What's it like dealing with um, a tourism, a tourist audience um, and trying to strike that balance? Um, and also these days with modern media and social media and, um, you know, reviewers online, have all these things sort of impact and affect the way that you want to do business? Yeah. Um, well, and I've also come up from the outset of like, I didn't want to care about reviews too much or awards or as long as we knew that we were making people happy, I think that that's the main goal. We didn't want, need the recognition from, from a review or like if, if someone doesn't get like early on, a lot of people didn't get why we weren't cooking pizza and stuff like that, but it was just sort of stayed strong to what we're, what we're doing. And, and like, it's been a slow burn, like it's been five and a half years, but I think we're sort of now hitting the point where people get it. Tourists are coming, they get it, the locals get it. And the locals are now regulars that keep coming back. Um, yeah. Um, Then there's like, I mean, I used to do the social media and stuff and that it was pretty ratty. It was funny. I'll say it was funny, <laughs> but it was pretty messy. But my lovely fiance, Elle, is a photographer, an amazing photographer, and she came on board, oh, what, two and a half years ago, two years ago to the, to the, to the social media for us and like documenting what we do. And that's been a massive lift. I think for us as individuals, but then to also present, be, be able to document what we are doing, considering like the dishes are now you see it, now you don't because we don't, you know, once we run out of that product, it's gone. But to be able to document that has been invaluable really um, and to present us, I guess, and, you know, you could say social media is not the restaurant and it's like presenting us nationally as well and having – photography at that level at our, at our hand we're very lucky so kudos to her <laughs> you mentioned that you um never really wanted or cared about um reviewers or reviews or those sort of perceptions but have you had had reviews and have they impacted on you and what you do um yeah we had a we had a we uh had a very good like it was funny like back in the joseph Cramby days i used we used to look at trip advisor and we used to you know, care what was being said on there. And then I came here and opened this place and I didn't really care and I didn't, I never really looked and I used to forget about it. I still forget about it. But then there was, there was one that was like four years ago, maybe there was a review that was titled, um, small meals and bogan staff. And, it, <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and, it, and I was, I was just more offended for the, for the staff than anything. I just felt that it was like, it's like, oh, I'm a, and I, you know, we are real people and we are like, bogan could be a nice term, I think. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, the, the meals are small. They're small plates. Like the, <laughs> it's a, being a banquet. So you, you're right. But yeah, it sort of went on. And I, I, I really wanted to respond to it because I was just, I didn't think that the staff deserved to, to be spoken about like that. But um, after three days, we decided we would turn it into a dinner because we'd been doing vegan dinners 
as, as events just for us and for the customers. But we did our third vegan dinner and called it Verbogen. So we did um, like kind of like tuck shop food and done it, did it in like a degustation shared table banquet form. We all dressed up with flannies on and we made a playlist. Playlist that was mainly 80s stuff. Did a Shannon Noll in there too, and 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 like had a full restaurant. So we just turned, we turned the one little shitty TripAdvisor review into a into an event, which was lovely. You have an amazing connection with um, local growers and even backyard growers, but uh, um, but you're working with a, a main veg grower doing all sorts of things. Um, another Matt, can you tell us about what you're doing together? Um, so he. He came to me, I think, through the original Facebook post. He lives like a kilometre up the road and he's into horticulture by trade but hadn't been doing it for years. He's got a little bit of land. Um, and he, and he bought, I think he bought me some stuff down and I said, oh, what do you want? And he didn't want the vouchers. And he, didn't want, he was like, no, nah, it's no good to me. He's like, I want to grow heaps of vegetables for you. And so he's been here, I guess that's been going now for five years with him. And we, you know, we're, he's become part of the crew now. Like we're trying to work out how to work it into the business structure as as a shared thing and as part of Tambor. And he's he can we consult on what we want to grow and he grows it and we keep all our any offcut that we can't use and that goes back into a compost at his place, um, which goes back onto the gardens and then. He start is I mean he's a very clever, very clever guy. So he's taking our uh, deep fry oil and making biodiesel, which will now heat the greenhouse that he put up last year. That'll heat the greenhouse over winter. So we're about to see what we can do over the off season with biodiesel powered heaters. <laughs> it's a it's a good good cycle, I think. But we've been, and we've got a lot of ideas that we've worked on. We've worked on how to deal with like our drink can rubbish. And <laughs> he, saved all, he saved all our empty cans for, I think, nine months. And he was crushing them by hand. So they would <laughs> go into a small bin. But, um, and then he realized he could just drive his tractor over the top of them. <laughs> and then he eventually took them down to like the scrap metal place. Cause I don't, we, I think they've only just start initiated like a, a five cent a can thing down here, but um, he took them to the scrap metal place and got thirty three dollars. So we're trying to work that one out. We were hoping it was going to pay for a staff party, but it didn't quite get to that point. <laughs> this amazing connection that you have with the local growers and the seasonality of what you do. Um, t- tell us about what you have on the menu at the moment. Is there a dish or two that you can tell us about that sort of really speaks of the region and, and what you're doing? Um, I get the easiest way to speak about that is to speak about Owen who works in the kitchen. Um, he's basically main chef, basically head Jesus. He's a scientist. (laughs) Um, but he's like, he basically deals with every, all the produce that's coming in and, um, the amount of fermenting and pickling and stuff that we've got on the go. It's so hard to communicate on a simple menu. I mean, stuff on the go at the moment because it's um, great picking time. So Owen, and I've done one little pick, but Owen's done, 
Um, we go through and pick up the drop bunches that they cut off before they harvest. Then he's making vinegars at the moment. So we've got, I don't know, like five, six different vinegars on the go, different varietals. Um, the amount of chilies that have come through, like he was in there playing this morning with um, making srirachas and like different separating the varieties of chilies and lacto fermenting and uh, coming up with things that are like palatable <laughs> by the end of it. That's a, and it, this is, I mean, this is how it works. So it's sort of not about the dishes. It's about all the ingredients that are going into the cool room where we can. Um, I mean, I've got a menu in front of me at the moment that was from Sunday, which is corn. So corn from like Elfham Grove, which is making amazing baby or growing amazing baby corn. We're doing a corn custard. Cucamelons have been coming in. Like, yeah, so veg, Matt Veg up the road. He's bringing in cucamelons with jalapeno, um, eggplants. They went amazing in his greenhouse this year. I don't know. Like, it's, yeah. The dishes, like, we have our bookends, like, that never leave. Like, we have a flatbread. Then we have a chicken dish and we have a miso caramel mousse and they never leave. And then around that, I mean, that gives people safety. And then <laughs> around that, we, we throw things in there. But you wouldn't be able to write recipes, I don't think, for some of these dishes because they've got, like, the the juice off a fermented cucumber from 2017. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. The last two years have been pretty strange for everyone on the planet, but everyone's starting to travel again. What's so great about your region and why should people travel to where you are and experience what you do? Um, I think, like, Tassie was very lucky with the whole COVID thing, being an island. Um, where we managed to, well, compared to Melbourne and Sydney and every, like, compared to everywhere else, we're very lucky. Um, we had limited lockdown. So I think like the way people would then perceive Tassie, and I, th- I did think this back then, that we hopefully we would be perceived as like the clean state still. Um, and, you know, international travel is probably still a little bit scary. So the... The onset of like, okay, some more tourism to Tasmania is likely, and I think it is. Like, it, there's been a lot of tourists around. I think COVID has also, for Tassie, kicked off the winter tourism for Tassie as well. I mean, obviously, Dark Mofo did a few years ago, but COVID, I think, has managed to kick it into gear because when people were allowed to travel, they can go, well, we can't, we're not going to go to Italy, we're going to go to Hobart, and hopefully we drive up to Launceston. So, have the last couple of years changed uh, you and what you want to do in the industry? Yeah, yeah, dramatically, I think. Um, the whole COVID thing, I guess, from the start was we were, we were actually the first restaurant in Launceston to close and we closed by choice. Like we made it, we sat down like a, as a brains trust on a Monday, I think it was. Um, and we actually had a function booked that night with Sandor Cats. So and I, I assume most people know who he is, but um, yeah, as part of Ferment Taz. And then, but I was receiving messages that were like, how many people are sharing off these plates? And I mean, this is before COVID really hit. And it was like, oh, okay, people are, are scared. And <laughs> so we sat around and we actually decided not to do the function and cancelled and, and shut the doors because it was getting a 
it was getting a bit silly where it was like one day to be you've got to have your tables two meters apart, then you've got to have your tables four meters apart. And I'm like, if this is a thing that spreads, I'm, I don't think this is going to stop it. So we we decided to close, and I think it was the week later that they made everyone close anyway. But um, from there, I don't know. That afternoon, we went into the kitchen and ironically, I'm not. Ironically, like fermented everything that was in there that was fresh because it was March. It was like this time. It was maybe like, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, but two years ago. Um, and then went home and made pizzas and got drunk for four days. And then, <laughs> and sort of, I think I decided and Elle probably decided for me too that I needed to go back to work. Um, and so we started a pizza business out of the wood fired oven that we said we'd never get pizzas out of. And so that, that was really fun. And we and I decided on the morning that I would do it that Sunday night. It was a Sunday morning. I was like, no, I'm going to go to work and make pizza and sell them, take away. And I bombarded Instagram with stuff and this is the rules and everyone had to pre-order. And I think we sold 70 pizzas. I think Owen, Owen was down, I think, on Bruny Island or something. Had just finished a run. He's like, do you need me to come in? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe you should just come in. <laughs> and I think we sold 75 pizzas. So it was like from then on, whilst we weren't allowed to be open, we just did pizzas on Fridays and Saturdays and yeah, and, and managed to be able to hang out together and chat instead of being stuck at home. So that was that was good. And then back at – but then from there, from there, I think we were allowed to have 10 people in the restaurant. So instead of opening up normally, we just – we advertised a table of 10 available and just booked tables of 10 for people that hadn't caught up for a while if they wanted to book a table of 10 and that worked pretty well. And then, yeah, I mean, that was as hard as Tassie had it though. We're very lucky. You've built a, an incredible restaurant there um, up near Launceston. Um, what do you love about what you do? Uh, the people in the community. Um, obviously I love cooking and, it's nice to be to be able to feel like we're doing something that's gentle to the earth and what we're doing. We're at a vineyard, like I love wine too. <laughs> um, to yeah, to be part of the food community and stuff in the north of Taz is I love it. And like I'm I'm a chef, I'm a chef by trade, but I now work front of house as well, and and so I've been able to be. I meet a lot of people and I've made a lot of friends and um, everyone that works here, hopefully allow them to do things that they want to do. And um, being, you know, being friends with people in the wine industry as well. So like in that COVID period, like all the hospitality staff are out picking grapes. So like now Owen that I was talking about before, he's like doing vintage at the moment and picking and working in a winery and on his days off. So it's like, it's all that kind of stuff. That's good. But, yeah, I think the whole COVID thing sort of coming out of it forced us more into a a direction of what what we can do and what we want to do and why we're doing what we're doing. We've just sort of been doing it blindly before that. And I was like, hang on, no. Um, and the next-door neighbour to us here at Tamba, she suggested that I went in some business awards and she said, I'll help you write the application. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a pretty full-on year. 
and but like doing the actual, we didn't re- win an award, which is fine. But like doing doing the um the actual application with her and talking like vocalizing what we'd been doing was a real was inspirational, I think, and like transferring that back down to the staff. But it also made me stop thinking about having another venue in town or something silly like that and realising what more we can do here with Tamba in regards to the sustainable side and everything. So, yeah. Well, mate, it's amazing what you've built there at Tamba. Um, and it's a, an absolute honour to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Huck. It was great. Thank you very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.